Hey, listener, do you have a story to tell? Just like the podcast you're listening to now? With Acast, it couldn't be easier to start a podcast. We have all the essential tools you need. From recording and editing audio to sharing and promoting your show, you can even make money from your podcast all in one place. Basically, we handle all the boring stuff, so you can focus on having fun and creating exactly what you want to share with the world. Get started with a three-month trial of our paid plan using the promo START. Just visit go.acast.com slash start. Hello, my name is Jim. This is my podcast, The Bloody Vegans. You're very welcome to it. Each week, I'll be travelling ever deeper into the world of veganism, discovering along the way a multitude of viewpoints, from the political and ethical to the practical. I'll be doing this through a series of conversations, each aiming to further illuminate my understanding and hopefully yours of all things vegan. And this week is no different. This week, I'm going to be chatting with Sandra Nomoto, a world-famous author, uh, author of Vegan Marketing Success Stories, which is out now wherever you get books. You can head to Sandra's website, just uh, do a little search for Sandra Nomoto and you'll find her uh, on her website and you'll also find her on social, so head over there. There's some background noise here and I, I imagine you're wondering what's happened to the, the quality levels of the Bloody Vegans podcast. Things have gone downhill. Perhaps Jim has found hard times in the last... Uh, in the last few weeks, well, I'm here to tell you that's not the case. In fact, what uh, what's going on is I'm at VegFest Live at uh, London Olympia. Um, I am just about to head over to the Green Gazelles um, talk, actually. So uh, Green Gazelles, who, for those of you who don't know, I'm lucky enough to be the chairman of. Um, I am right there as we speak, just about to uh, listen to Brendan, the founder, do a talk. And then later on today, if you do happen to be in London Olympia, at one o'clock, so I'm going to release this podcast hopefully in the next like you know 10, 15 minutes. If for whatever reason you happen on Sunday, uh, Sunday morning, the 13th of November, if you happen to listen to this and be at a London Olympia, and you've listened to it before one o'clock, you could head down to uh, the Vegan Business Tribe section where I shall be talking about how to have a successful vegan podcast. Which uh, I imagine some of you listening will go. We'll be asking the question, well, what on earth are you doing talking about that? Is, is your podcast successful? Uh, I'm not sure, but either way, uh, I'm there. It's, it's exciting, isn't it? So uh, without further ado, I'm uh, going to stop dodging the traffic, go and listen to the Green Gazelles, and uh, thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you in uh, normal circumstances next week. Thanks so much. Um, so my journey to veganism was 11 years. Um, it started with, uh, seeing the documentary Earthlings at the end of 2007. Um, it took a couple years for me to completely cut meat out of my diet. Um, I started with all other meats, uh, except for chicken. That was the hardest for me. And then, um, yeah, so did that over maybe two years. Um, and then for a good chunk of years, I was, I guess, technically pescatarian. Um, I've, I've never been a huge fan of seafood and egg, um, so, you know, as I started to build my, 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 build up my cooking skills and get better at that, I would eat, um, 
or I would cook uh, vegan or vegetarian meals during the week. And then if my husband and I went out uh, on weekends, we, I might have, you know, a piece of fish, fish and chips, maybe some egg. Um, and then uh, on our honeymoon uh, in New York City, uh, we, we dined at Iron Chef Morimoto's restaurant and I had what I would call the best seafood meal of my life. And, and, and I told myself, it's not going to get any better than this. So I may as well leave on high note. So that was my last seafood meal. Um, and then from there, it was just dairy. So, you know, my favorite foods are pizza and ice cream, big dairy foods. Um, but uh, I have had a, a un, an undiagnosed digestive condition for, for many, many years that has, yeah, just gone unidentified by my health team. I've done tests, over tests, um, and I believe it's under active stomach. I learned about this condition um, after I went vegan. Um, but in any case, uh, yeah, it's it sort of in the spring of 2018, I had this really bad bout of acid reflux. That's one of the symptoms in the middle of the night. And I, you know, I was like, I got to go back to my naturopath and figure this out. So she actually rec- recommended I do a food sensitivity test. So I did this test, found out that I was sensitive to dairy, as I later discovered most people of color are. And uh, yeah, and so I I cleanse these foods out of my diet for four months, and then you're supposed to integrate them back in, see which ones are triggering. But you know, after that four months, I was like, well, I I always, I have always wanted to be vegan, and um, I can do dairy for four months. So, or without dairy, I should say. (laughs) And so, yeah, so I was like, I can do this forever now. So, so that was sort of the moment I count from from being vegan, spring 2018. Um, and then of course, uh, from there, you know, made steps not to purchase animal based clothing, personal products and so on. Um, so yeah, it's been a a four and a half year journey for me. Do you think you were looking right back to when you first saw earthlings? Was, was that kind of always the intention? Did you always end plan to get where you got to in 2018? Um, I don't think I made the declaration that I want to be vegan um, Mm. after seeing the documentary. But what was actually pretty powerful was at the end of the screening, they had a QA. and a There was somebody from the Vancouver Humane Society there to answer questions. And somebody in the audience asked her, what is one thing we can all do to help the animals in this situation? And she said, stop eating meat. So, so that really impacted me. And, um, yeah, for, for a while I was like, you know, if I can get to the point where I'm vegetarian, that's great. And then, um, somewhere in that, you know, in those couple years when I first started, that's when I started seeing all the other documentaries, Cowspiracy, What the Health, um, you know, and, and, and reading the books, the China, China study. Um, and then I realized, um, yeah, going, going vegan is really the, at least for me, the the ideal lifestyle that I wanted to live because, yeah, going completely dairy and egg free as well um, is yeah, you know, for so many ethical reasons, um, yeah, just just the the lifestyle that I wanted to pursue. I never put a, a timeline on it, but uh, mm. but yeah, it took me eleven years. There you go. And the and the obviously you know there's there's a strong ethical reason like you mentioned, but you also mentioned the health reasons. Did did the health benefits that you expected and wanted to come? Did they did they come? Did did you did you feel better on this on this particular diet? Um, I have in in recent years learned to manage my condition, and so um, my condition I would say is completely separate from from what yeah from my mm. transition to. Um, 
yeah, to going plant-based. Um, and so when I learned about this condition, underactive stomach, I learned that um, animal products does, um, what do you call it, um, activate it or it's mm. one of those triggers. And so that that even for me, um, even more, like, yeah, <laughs> was the reason why uh, I would like to, to try and stay on this for, for good. Um, what else was I going to say? Um, yeah, anyways, I lost my train of thought, but that's okay. <laughs> Did did people come along with you on the journey? You mentioned your husband in there as well, but did did people come along with you? No, no, they haven't. And <laughs> and I would say, yeah, I mean, uh, I've seen, I've I've screened a couple of the documentaries at my sister's place because my husband and I don't have Netflix, so we sort of <laughs> we hop over to her, sure. her house, and that's where I get to see them. And so, yeah, they've seen some of these alongside me and uh, I just I, I know everybody's on their own journey and so I don't try yeah. and pressure pressure folks if if they have questions for me I mean I've had a number of friends ask me you know where can I eat plant-based you know whatever um and then if, I'm happy to give my recommendations but um yeah if people are open to to learning more I'm you know over these 11 years, I've amassed a a bit more knowledge. So, (laughs) and I've actually, you know, because the number of resources just keeps growing, I've put together, um, my own resource list, uh, up on my website. So, so that, yeah, I can now refer these folks to to that webpage and they can find all of the films that I've seen and all the books that I recommend and so on. Um, but yeah, when it comes to, you know, the family gatherings, I always just, I, I take care of myself. I bring the token, you know, <laughs> the entre- the vegetable entree dish and the dessert. Um, and yeah, and and what's what's great is we have a, a local company um, called Como Comfort Foods. They so they sort of make these frozen um, dishes. So like your shepherd's pie, your lasagna, and then you stick mm. it in the oven. And I've I was asked three times at Thanksgiving, not this year, but last year. Uh, they're like, "This is plant based," because it just yeah, just the the. <laughs> the beef quality, I guess, whatever they were using was so good. And, um, yeah. And so, so I like, I like impressing my family that way and just, yeah. (laughs) And the little way that I can urge them, uh, towards eating plant-based. Did the the friends and family kind of, they get it, even though they weren't on the journey with you, did they, or did they kind of look at you slightly oddly when you, when you bring along your vegan dish? No, I mean, yeah, because I'm, I've been used to this for so long. I think, I think mm. they get it. Um, every now and then my mom confuses, uh, seafood with, with still being vegetarian. Um, right. <laughs> there was one family gathering. She made, um, a noodle dish, a Filipino noodle dish called pancit typically has, 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 um, chicken in it. And she's like, I made it veg- vegetarian for you. And I looked and it's got shrimp in it. And I'm like, Oh, you tried. <laughs> yeah. You tried your best mom, but no, I can't eat that. <laughs> And tell us about some of the things you're involved in now, because you, you're doing all sorts. You're writing books and you're uh, into marketing and all kinds of stuff. So when did when did that kind of come about and, and when did it sort of almost become veganized, if you like? Yeah, I would say around, right around the time I went vegan um, four years ago. So that was the year I also closed my first business, um, Conscious Public Relations. Um, and uh, with that business, uh, I was very much focused on... Um, working with clients who were socially and environmentally responsible. So integrating my personal values into business is not new to me. I've been doing Mm. this. Yeah. I've been in those circles for, for some time. Um, but yeah, becoming vegan kind of, yeah, really kickstarted this other business path. Um, so 
yeah, I would say a year and a half after I closed my business, um, I was doing some research and, and of course being vegan, I, I'm now following all of the, the news outlets. And at first I thought, well, what if I try and write for these outlets? That would be my next, you know, let's, let's try doing that. And I found not all of these outlets pay, um, some of them pay per article or, you know, you can, you can apply for a job and you'll be a, a full-time staff writer. That's not the route I wanted to go. I wanted to, uh, I was thinking of going more the freelance route, but I, I sat down to meditate. I was sort of discouraged by, by my research <laughs> and thinking, uh, I could maybe at best make a part-time income. And then just the booming intuitive voice came to me and it was like, you're going to be, you're vegan now and you're going to be writing forever, whether it's personally or professionally. And just put those two things together and go. So at, yeah, at the start of 2020, um, initially I launched uh, a new business as The Vegan Copywriter. That was my initial brand uh, and just told everybody I knew, you know, looking for vegan businesses to write for. Um, you know, send, send clients my way and, uh, was really lucky to, yeah, to, to land my first few clients, um, right away. And then I realized, yeah, there was a client who had worked with me in my PR business and, uh, wanted to work with me again. And she, she asked me, do I have to be vegan? And, and I realized, and I said, no, 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 as long as your business is vegan. Um, so I realized the, the V word is still, you know, quite a bit of a mystery word to, to non-vegans. And I didn't want to put off people by that. So I changed my, my title, my brand to the content doctor to make it a little bit more inclusive. So, um, hopefully people know that I do content writing and then when they, they come on my site and they see my, my ideal clients are vegan businesses. Um, yeah, that's really my, my, my criteria. So that's the business that I, I run today. Um, and thanks to the pandemic, um, uh, I had more time on my hands, so I took some courses in in book editing, formatting, indexing. I've always been fascinated about editing books. I mean, books are really mm. the longest piece of content I could possibly work on. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I've got a suite of services now that I offer to self-published authors. And then, um, yeah, I'm a published author myself. So uh, my first book... Um, I launched uh, short or a year after I closed uh, my PR business, and I didn't really make a big splash of that book because it's about public relations, and I didn't want to send people my way because I had already closed my business. Um, but with this book, um, Vegan Marketing Success Stories, it's the world's first book about vegan marketing, and I'm really excited about wow. that. Really proud um, to include 47 um, the stories of 47 vegan businesses around the world that talk about how they market themselves. And yeah. uh, because I found there that there were some gaps. So not only is this sort of a compilation of stories kind of book, but it's also a practical guide. So if you're new to business, if you're new to marketing, you can pick this up and you can learn how to create your own marketing strategy. And I, I wanted at least one example of a business um, with each marketing tactic. And mm. there were a bunch of of you know, tactics that I talk about that I didn't, that the contributors didn't talk about because they're just not using that right now. Um, so yeah, I also pulled, uh, from online and added another three dozen or so examples and got, got the permission to use, um, permission to use those. Um, so yeah, in total, there are about 80 companies mentioned in the book. Um, uh, yeah. And, and so I, yeah, it, it just, uh, the paperback and audio just, just came out on world vegan day and the ebook has been out for a while. Awesome. Awesome. I'm, I'm really fascinated by this, this subject. Like who, who are other vegan businesses trying to talk to generally? I, and I think that's questions like, 
it comes from a place of there are I can imagine many many vegan businesses. You know, the obvious answer is they're trying to talk to vegans. But in your experience, are they are they also trying to talk to beyond that? And then I suppose the follow up to that is, you know, what's working in that kind of space? Because I'm always fascinated by talking to non vegans effectively. Hmm. So I don't remember any stories saying we only market to vegans or. Or, or the other side too, you know, we, mm. we, we market to everyone or, or to omnivores. I, I think generally they are marketing to, um, to everyone. Um, and, and a lot of them talk about how they, um, for example, Immaculate Vegan in the UK um, is an e-commerce store. Um, blogging is a big part of, of their strategy. And they talk about the reasons um, why you should use plant-based products versus the animal alternative. And so more of that educational, that storytelling, um, yeah, kind of tactic. Um, and I think that's, that's a great way to go because if you're only marketing to vegans, we're still a very small percentage of the population, right? So, um, and if that's, if that is your market, you've identified that great. Um, but I think, um, yeah, the more that we can urge everybody else along, um, then that's, that's good for all of us. It's win-win. You tell us about some of the some of the tactics that you've seen that that kind of work. Then, like what what what's resonating with with people with audiences? So the two longest chapters are public relations and digital marketing, and so that just tells mm-hmm. me this this is what most companies are doing right now. Um, they're right. using some some sort of PR. So whether it's reaching out to media, working with influencers, creating their own media like podcasts and such, um, putting out books. Um, and then digital marketing. So, you know, from social media to email, to blogging, all of that. Um, so yeah, those, those are most of the tactics that, that the contributors talked about. And is there anything that just, that in your experience from a marketing point of view, just, just doesn't work, hasn't landed any pitfalls for, for, for companies out there? Um, well, because this is a book about success stories, not failure <laughs> stories, um, I didn't, yeah, I didn't really collect much of the, much, much data on what doesn't work for us. Um, yeah. I would say my one, um, great failure to su- success story is, um, one of, uh, the company is called Vicado. They're in Toronto, Canada, and they sell, um, plant-based uh, food for, for dogs and cats. And so right. they came across a great study that showed that sled dogs performed very well on plant-based food. And so they wanted to share the information about the, about the study and they posted a photo of sled dogs. And so that did not resonate well with, with their audience. Um, uh, but yeah, they, they, they quickly rectified that, you know, apologized. They took down the post. I don't I actually don't always recommend you do that. Take down your, you know, your post because sometimes honesty is, is, is a good tactic in marketing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, th- that's the course that they went and, uh, yeah. And, and it actually helped them to, to build more engagement with their community in the end. So that's, that's the one story that, um, sort of, yeah, they called it a success story because they made a mistake, but they rectified it and, uh, and then it benefited them in the end. And I guess that's like in our sort of modern era where probably companies are talking to their, their customer base probably more than ever, you know, in the past, you know, with 
social media and you know like you say content creation and they're appearing on the, you know you talk about immaculate vegan and we've had uh, annick um annick's been on the show um so you know the, the companies are everywhere they're constantly talking to their 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 kind of customer base does that sort of leave the door open then for for potentially more kind of missteps if you like as the one that you've described there and then is that the you know in your experience the best tactic just you know complete honesty and let hold your hands up yeah, if you make a mistake, I mean, what I've learned in PR um, from from James Hogan, he's he's sort of this PR guru in Canada. Um, his three rules are: number one, do the right thing; number two, um, be seen to do the right thing; and number three, don't get it mixed up. So, what a lot of you know your big corporations will do is is greenwash, you know, yeah, <laughs> um, to be like, oh, we're you know, look at our great sustainable <laughs> product. And then you look on the back and it's got tons of chemicals and toxins. And it's like, mm. you know, you've, you as a consumer, I would say you really got to be wary of, of things like that. Um, but I think, yeah, as especially for the small business owners, when you're, you're taking folks on a journey, you're just starting out like me, I'm, I'm still only like, just just under three years in business um yeah you're taking people on a journey you know showing them where you're at um you make a mistake you show the mistake you correct the mistake and then you move on and and as you grow i think that's really how you build um yeah you build that loyal following in my opinion yeah Thinking about the, the book, I mean, you, you mentioned there's there's an absolute ton of businesses and success stories that you've included in the book. What was the research process like for that? So I imagine it was fairly painstaking. Um, yeah. So initially, I just came up with a few dozen of my own like dream companies that I wanted to approach, and uh, I'm subscribed to quite a few you know newsletters. So you know your Vegconomist, Vegan Women Summit, mm. Green Queen, and I realized because I wanted to get a good range of companies from around the world. You know, I wanted to get you know almost every continent if I could. Um, I didn't quite get there, but um, yeah, I realized that you know there are companies in Asia or. South America or Africa that I probably don't know about. And so I relied a lot on these newsletters that I received to um, sort of add to my list. And so in my mind, um, yeah, I wanted to build a list of 200 to maybe get 50 case studies. Um, that mm -hmm. list ended up growing to almost 280 <laughs> just because wow. if I, yeah, if, if I, if the company came back and said, no, you know, we don't want to participate for whatever reason, or I just didn't hear back from them. Um, I would just go on and reach out to another company. So the, the list just kept getting longer and longer. Um, but yeah, when I received those 47 stories and then, um, as yeah, as well as putting in my own, um, research, just, just looking online, um, I felt like I had a substantial enough book, um, yeah, and then at some point you just got to stop the process. So otherwise you'll yeah, <laughs> take you forever to finish, right? So what were the ones that kind of stood out for you? Was there any that really kind of knocked you off center? Um, well, yeah, the, the one that I mentioned, Vicato, was was great. Um, yeah, one that, I, that I'm, I've already mentioned on a few podcasts, but um, Meredith Marin um, at Vegan Hospitality. So she's in the U.S. and she's absolutely amazing. Um, a number of years ago, she... Um, 
I don't know if, I guess she relocated to Aruba um, and um, almost single-handedly, you know, managed to make the island vegan-friendly. So she um, uh, did a lot of local media appearances to talk about the importance of veganism, um, got the chance to partner with uh, some restaurants and help them create vegan menus and dishes. And because of that, um, she was able to get more media coverage um, in travel magazines. So these are in every hotel room and um, the back of the airline seats. Um, she taught vegan cooking classes. Like she spoke at every opportunity she could about um, about veganism. And then she partnered with the Aruba Tourism Authority um, to sponsor an influencer trip. So in 2018, they brought six vegan influencers from, um, I'll say around the world, I, I think mostly North America, um, brought them to Aruba, showed them a good time. And um, some of that content is still some of the top ranking um, on Google, if you search for, you know, vegan Aruba and, uh, yeah. So happy cow, <clears throat> which is the app that, you know, most, a lot of people use yeah. to locate vegan restaurants and such. So happy cow named Aruba, the most vegan friendly Island in the Caribbean. Mm. And that's really all due to, to Meredith and whoever she has on her team. Um, so yeah, so her company, vegan hospitality, um, now works with other ambassadors. So if, you know, you're, you've got, Wherever you live, you want to build that community in your area. You can you can learn all of the the tactic, tactics that uh, Meredith uses. Um, so yeah, that's that's one of the ones that sta- that stands out for me. Wow, what a story! <laughs> yeah, Jamaican it, it makes me want to go there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you when you think about um, you know the number of companies that you researched in this and you said that list just kept growing and you kind of almost had to cut it off were you were you kind of surprised by uh what was out there in terms of companies because you know there's there's probably a bunch we can we can all list off of companies we'd expect to be doing vegan things and so on and so forth but were there any that you thought i I didn't even know that that existed or i didn't know that could be veganized did you did you kind of have a bit of a learning journey along the way from that point of view um, I wouldn't say there were any companies that surprised me in terms of offerings, um, but I would say most of the companies on that list, like I wasn't familiar with, because like I said, mm. um, I had my own list, but but I'm here, I'm in Vancouver, Canada, so I'm only familiar with, yeah, probably most of the, the, the big names in North America or that are available to me in the grocery store. Um, so yeah, I would say a lot of these companies, uh, yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't know about, um, and yeah, it's only because I, I had read about them online that I, I learned about them. Um, one Another cool company that comes to mind is uh, Blue Tribe in, in India. So they make um, plant-based meat alternatives. And um, the, the story that they included in the book was doing uh, a native advertising campaign. So they par- partnered up with... Um, a uh, an online network i forget the name but uh, they have a number of online shows youtube shows one of them is called okay tested and so they have three hosts who are um, not vegetarian or vegan in any way mm-hmm. um, and so they did a taste test sort of segment where they had them taste the meat version and then blue tribes um yeah blue tribes alternative and so they had three sets of dishes and two out of those three dishes um yeah, the hosts were fooled. Like they, they, they thought that the, huh. the plant based was the the meat, the meat alternative. And and I love that story. And it's it's an example that comes up quite a few times in in the book about social proof. So I love it right. when companies use that 
covert tactic where they're like, here's some great food and people think it's meat and then they taste it and like, oh yeah, this is a great, so- great sausage. Um, yeah. This is, is um, a company in the UK that does this very well and they yeah. rely a lot on, on those publicity stunts. So I, I, I put a couple of their, their stories in the book. Um, but yeah, I love those stories because it just, it just shows you that the average person, they, they want to eat these foods because of taste, not because of the cruelty mm. that goes along with um, the creation of this food. And so if by them saying like, yeah, this plant-based version tastes great, I think it's meat. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, it just kind of, kind of shows you how, how well we can compete um, yeah. with animal-based foods. Difficult to say, I appreciate with this, this next one, but when, when, a th- when you think about all the different ways you could communicate a message with your, you know, the public, and you could talk about environment, you could talk about animal welfare, you could talk about the taste, you could talk about all these different things. And I appreciate it completely depends upon the company and so on and so forth. But are there kind of broad strokes, things that um, are more effective, would you say, in terms of communication? Like, does the environment land better with people like, you know, and probably more so non-vegans than say, talking about animal welfare? You know, is there is there a particular kind of a trend or theme that you've noticed? In terms of folks in the book, um, yeah, I didn't really get too much data around that. Um, so I can't say, um, but just generally in terms of what I'm seeing, um, a lot of vegan mm. companies post, I think it really varies. Um, I think folks have started to learn that the animal angle is not working as well. Although folks like um, VFC in the UK, they do it very yeah. well because they're, they're at least their initial product focus was chicken and so uh, and that's part of their name vfc right so um so so they're really on the you know the chicken activism (laughs) um but Mm -hmm. i think yeah i've seen some folks now try and go more into the uh the environment angle because um things are not doing so well uh (laughs) in terms of natural disasters and such here and so yeah trying to urge people to go more plant-based that way um i think i think it's all great but as a company yeah you really have to figure out the messaging and strike that balance too between education and activism and what your audience is expecting because i don't think you can go 100 percent activism um yeah Otherwise, yeah. yeah, you're still selling products and services in the end, right? So, yeah, hundred percent. Is it is the communication tactics generally similar around the world? Because you mentioned you'd, you know, obviously you've you've got examples from all over the globe. Would you say that there there's there's generally speaking, vegan companies are talking to people in a similar way, or are they? Is there other regional differences? Yeah, I would say I would say the tactics are are, are are pretty similar. I know that there are a lot of cultural differences um, in how, like, you know, there's socialist companies like uh, Cuba that you'll never see an ad an mm. ad there because <laughs> they just they just don't allow it. Um, but for the most part, yeah, I think um, like I said before, um, public relations and digital marketing those were the longest chapters. That's what most most yeah. of these companies talked about using, and so. Um, yeah, I didn't see much of a difference. Um, I mean, that being said, uh, the book is very heavy on uh, North America and UK. Um, yeah. Yeah, I've got a couple in, in India, uh, one in Mexico, a couple in Israel. Um, yeah, I was hoping to get more of a spread, but um, but uh-huh. that's just how it turned out. So Yeah, th- thinking about the, the digital prospects, I, I know speaking to many kind of business owners who are starting out on their journey, that it almost becomes a 
almost it almost envelops sometimes what their core offering is this kind of feeling that they need to um create a digital you know they're almost become content creators if you like mm-hmm. and they're sort of almost um I wouldn't say fearful but it but it almost becomes like a, like I say something that envelops the main purpose of what they're doing and then they sometimes have a little moment of you know is the juice worth the squeeze here am I doing the the uh the right thing are, are there kind of any top tips that you would give businesses who are starting out in that particular sphere from a digital marketing perspective from what from your experience yeah i think as as much content as you can put out um is the way to go and and i still struggle with this like i yeah i don't want to be a 24 7 reality show <laughs> so that's just i'm yeah. just not in it for that but um but yeah i think you have to figure out what works for you like i'm a solopreneur i don't yet have you know somebody on a marketing team that i can hire to to do my own posting and i am my own brand too so i yeah i i just have to um yeah be aware of of where my bandwidth is and i can only do uh, as much as i can do um there are other companies that, yeah, they, they, they are their own media empire. Um, so an example is Midday Squares. It's um, mm. a functional chocolate bar company uh, in Montreal, Canada. And they uh, they have been ambitious from day one. So so they're like, we're out to compete with Hershey's and all the top five. Like we want to wow. be the top one of the top five chocolate companies in the world. Um, and um, yeah, I share in the book how their second hire on the operation side before they even hired a salesperson was a videographer because they knew that wow. content and and documenting everything that was happening in their company good and bad wins and failures um, was going to be a huge part of their strategy so um, yeah just if you if, if you don't have never heard of midday squares before just just yeah hop on I would say Instagram is probably their their most engaged platform um, and and they'll they'll give you some ideas on <laughs> on on um, yeah, uh, on how you can maybe change up your own content. Because, um, yeah, they show everything. Um, and then they also have their own podcast. Uh, I know they were they took a break for about a year because they were f- focused on um, raising capital. Um, so that took a lot of their resources. But, yeah, I, I think they're they're at least trying to, to get back on the monthly, um, the, yeah, monthly frequency. But, um, yeah, just documenting, storytelling, showing people as much behind the scenes as you can, um, as well as, of course, your, your products and services. I think, I think that's a great way to go um, from day one. And, and is there an element of like companies having to develop a, uh, a thick skin around uh, being comfortable building in flight? you know, in, in sort of modern times from what you've seen, like, and particularly around content creation, because it's a skill you kind of learn. And like you say, many people start out, they haven't got a videographer, they haven't got, uh, you know, the the resources to to expand into like a full content creation team. Um, you know, my, myself included outside of my own podcast, I run a, run a business myself. And, um, uh, you know, I am the content creating department as well as the finance department yeah. and, and all the other and all the other aspects like many people are and I'm sure you can relate but is it is it kind of a key skill to to be comfortable with you know the finished article is is never going to come if you don't put things out yeah 100% agree um like I'm an introvert and and I'm a writer by trade and so of course I'm more comfortable 
blogging. Like that's my, <laughs> that's my, yeah. you know, my sweet spot. But, um, but yeah, I've learned to, you know, use Instagram reels and, and get on a, you know, a 60 second video, uh, yeah, video, because I know that, um, especially with me being my own brand, um, yeah, showing your face is, is very important. Um, people want to see your face. They want to hear your voice. Um, yeah, before they hire you. And so, yes, again, you've got to learn how to, even if you're introverted, um, yeah, step in front of the camera. And again, a lot of these platforms, Instagram, TikTok, they're all short form anyway, you know, unless you, Mm. you plan to become a YouTuber. Um, yeah, you only have 60 or 90 seconds anyway. So, (laughs) so don't, don't worry about, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Sort of the long form video content, um, unless that's part of your strategy, of course. Yeah. Can we, can we just switch switch gears into the editing side of of books and so on? Cuz I'm kind of fascinated by you getting into that like you said over the over the pandemic and so on and so forth. What's that that kind of journey been like? Is that, you know, like you said that's probably a natural home for you from a content point of view, the longest form content you could get. You know, what what's that journey been like for you? It's been great. I mean, I haven't worked on too many books. Um, but I, I absolutely love editing. Even when I was in my PR business, um, yeah, when I had a client, you know, give me an article to, to, to edit before it got published. Um, yeah, it's really one of my favorite things to do. And, um, I add, you know, I tell people I'm a content writer because most people will hire folks to write. Not many will Mm. hire editors. (laughs) So, um, so yeah. And so that's why I went into, into book editing. Um, but yeah, I was, I, I was, I was taking my course. Um, my uncle who's, um, a hobby genealogist in the U S um, has has been able to trace back his family history to, I believe the 13th century in Europe, um, which is quite impressive. And so he, he, um, yeah, had, had, um, three volumes of book uh, of a book series ready. And he's like, I'm ready to put these out. I need your help. So, (laughs) so it was great to, to get some (laughs) practice on, on his books. And then I've since, um, yeah, edited, edited a few now. Um, and, uh, I would love, yeah, love to work with more vegan authors. Spiritual authors is another group of folks that I, yeah, just um, those are my favorite genres. Uh, vegan, spiritual, um, memoir, and nonfiction. Um, but yeah, if, if you're listening to this, you're not vegan, but you've, you've got a book you need edited. Um, yeah, I'm happy to work with you as well. This, this seems to be, to me anyway, a, a, a real rise in kind of vegan authorship is that something you've you've noticed as well yes um i would say we could use more diversity in the types of of vegan books uh that's probably Mm. one of the reasons why i published mine (laughs) because it's the second uh vegan business book in the world um (laughs) followed by uh katrina fox's vegan ventures um Mm. but yeah i mean there are tons of vegan cookbooks um, I, I, I have a list that I'm going through right now of, of vegan memoirs. Um, some folks recommended these memoirs to me when they weren't really memoirs. There were more like nonfiction books or, um, anthologies. Mm. So collections of stories or essays. Um, but yeah, I, I really love that the memoir, um, genre. So I just finished reading The Gentle Barn um, by Ellie Lax. She runs uh, a sanctuary called um, My Gentle Barn uh, in the US. I think they have three locations. And uh, yeah, just the story of her, you know, having an affinity for animals since childhood and then taking that all the way to um, 
building a sanctuary with three locations is, yeah, it's so amazing to me. So if you're a vegan out there, you've got a great story, um, memoir, you know, we need more memoirs out there, I think. Um, (laughs) yeah, just, just so that people know that vegans aren't just like, oh, I'm an activist and now, you know, it's not just all about Mm. activism. Like, like vegans are, are still everyday people, you know, we run businesses, um, we do other things and I think we need to get more of those types of stories out there. Yeah. Yeah. There's certainly like, um, it's interesting you mentioned about the business books because I, I, I had no idea when, but now you say it, I can't, I can't think of, well, there is, like you say, there's two, I can't, I can't think of any. Um, but, and, and re- up until recently, vegan fiction was one that I would say, oh, there, there isn't any vegan fiction, but now that seems to be, that seems to be turning a, a corner as well. Yes. There seems to be more and more vegan fiction out there. Yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm not paying attention to fiction just because it's not my it's not on my radar at all. But I'm sure. Yes, I, I know of at least a few um, vegan fiction authors now. Um, but yeah, I, I was speaking more on the, the nonfiction front there. Yeah, yeah, 100 um, percent. Editing, editing something, you know, from a from a I've never I've never done it. But apart from editing podcasts, well, I've never edited anything kind of written, certainly not a, a book. Is that? Is part of the skill not just obviously the functionality of, you know, whether something is grammatically correct and so on and so forth and the word count and all that kind of stuff. But I guess there's there's a real skill in um, making sure that you capture exactly the essence of what the author intended. Yeah. And, and that goes for businesses as well. I think um, mm. um, I love editing uh, for businesses because uh, I like to preserve their, their voice as much as possible. Um, but yeah. But I think when in the same way that we speak, we tend to write with a lot more words than we need to. And so cutting off, mm. cutting, cutting away a lot of those filler words that get in the way of that core message. Um, I really enjoy doing that. And then for, for books. Um, yeah, again, it's, it's just, uh, a lot of the editing work. Uh, yeah. As you said, aside from fixing spelling and grammar is querying the author. So making sure, is this what mm. you meant when you said that? Um, or can we say it a little bit better? And sometimes I'll, I'll make suggestions. Um, yeah. So, so, so that's the, the kind of editing that I do. And then there's also like, you have to adhere to adhere to certain styles. Um, but that's why I like working with self-publishing authors because yeah, you can you can break rules. You can do whatever you want. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> compared to when you work with a traditional publisher, their you know their team is going to handle all of that. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. So I get, I hadn't really thought about that. So yeah, if they're if they're publishing through a publishing company, there's a third party in the conversation. So the dialogue isn't just you and the author, right? Will be the the editor and the author. Yeah. Yeah. And there's yeah. there's different types of editors as well. So there's copy editing, right. which I do, and then there's developmental editing, which is um, like shifting entire sections of a book around. So p- potentially wow. shifting chapters around or, or shifting paragraphs within a chapter around. And and that's yeah, that's not really uh, my my sweet spot. So yeah. Well, it's a whole whole new world to me, to be to be honest. <laughs> just just to go back to the the marketing uh, side of things, and to start to round us out because I'm conscious of time. But thinking about you know where, some top tips for companies, yeah. Is there is there any that you that you would that you'd recommend sort of as we as we start to sort of summarize that that have come from the book? Well, the the biggest thing I learned about yeah hearing from all of these stories of these companies is that no marketing strategy is the same 
Um, everybody right. uses a different combination of tactics. It's, it's fascinating. And you have to figure out what that cocktail is for you, for you and your business, right? Because mm. you can use the exact same tactics at the exact same time, use the exact same budget as mm. your competitor, and it still might not work out for you because your audience is going to be slightly different. So, um, yeah, I, I say, you know, just you got to come up with a strategy, test it out, find out what works for mm. you, cut out what doesn't. I think that's that's the number one thing I learned, um, yeah, from from writing this book. Love it. Great advice. Where do folks go to get hold of a, a copy then, Sandra? Uh, ebook is, is everywhere online where you buy ebooks. Um, the paperback I would prefer you get on Lulu, uh, lulu.com. And uh, the audiobook is on Audible. Awesome. Awesome. Um, it's been great chatting with you. Thank you so much. Is there, is there anywhere else that folks can find you? Because I'm sure you're out and about in various guises. So it'd be good to make sure people know. Yeah, everywhere with my name, sandranamoto.com. Same thing on social media. And uh, yeah, I've collected all of the book links there. So you can also just hop on my website and find everything there as well. Amazing. Sandra, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. You're welcome. Did you know you can join the same podcast network trusted by superstars like Mark Marin and Anna Ferris? That's right. If you want to join the best of the best in podcasting, join or switch your podcast to Acast in just a matter of minutes. We've got the best tools to create, grow, and make money from your show. And that's why more than 92,000 shows love Acast. Join Acast with a three-month free trial to our paid plan using the code JOIN. Just visit go.acast.com slash join. Acast, we're the home of podcasting.